now, our feature presentation. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Florida Sound Archive podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Kaiser. And as you can see or hear, there are going to be two guests here on the podcast because on this episode, we will hear the story of South Florida hardcore band that started back in the late 80s, was around for a few years, had a reunion or two. The Believers, Tony Downs and Chad Palmer are here. Hey, guys, how are you? Awesome. So far, so good. Yes. Hi, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. It's good to have you both on. Thanks for making some time to chat today. So what's up? How are you guys doing? What's going on in your worlds? I'm doing all right. Uh, Chad, I don't know about you, but um, it's almost paycheck to paycheck. How have you been? (laughs) (laughs) Living Living the hard rock, punk rock post life <laughs> living it up now it's all good yeah. things are great good. yeah yeah things are good i'm happy good happy. to hear now tony yeah. you're you're in louisville kentucky chad you're still in south florida right correct so chad at what point did you decide that you were going to stay in florida <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, at one point i was actually going to visit uh, or i visited tony in boston at one point when he was there and I was I was playing around with either moving to New York or Boston, and I happened to visit during a huge snowstorm. And that's all it took. I said, you know what? I realized people spend their entire life saving up all their money to come retire to Florida. I'm, I'm here in the, the beautiful uh, sunshine state. I think I'll just hang out here and enjoy the sunshine. There you go. Then I, then I visit whenever I want. So I get the best of both worlds. You do. And Tony, when did you move to Louisville? Shoot, uh, I moved here probably early 97. Uh, I'd left Boston, was trying to play with some people, and we tried uh, going to Seattle even, uh, which was nice, but like I didn't know anyone and was lonely. I uh, came back to Florida for a little bit and met Will, who was the, was the last Believers drummer, and he's like, come on up to Louisville, and I visited. And similar to Chad, like there was a snowstorm on the day I was going to <laughs> go back to Florida. And I was like, well, I'll just stick it, stick it out a little bit longer. And I, I fell in love with the town and uh, I've just been here ever since. Nice. So we both uh, have had a lot going on uh, after, after the Believers, you know, life, things and what have you. So, but this episode is all about the history of the believers and going back in time, telling that story. So let's kind of go back, rewind to when the believers first got started. Uh, What are your memories of that period? Who was around and all that? So what comes to mind? Uh, So, so the three of us went to the three by by the three of us uh, will include Dane, Dane on base, uh, myself and Tony kind of all, we're all in the same high school. So, that was around 88-ish, 1988, and um, we, we cycled through a couple drummers, but we were kind of the the, the three that got together to, to start it all off. I want to say, was it 87, 88? We kind of started as the 700 Club, 
uh-huh. for for a, a show or two, and then realized, yeah, we're gonna have to come up with a come up with a name here. <laughs> yeah, and that was definitely Dane. Uh, I I wish he could be here. He's with his family in Iceland right now, yeah. not Greenland. He's in Iceland with his family. They look like they're having fun. Uh, Dane was always good about maybe Chad and I would. Hey, what about this? Dane would be the one that would be like, no. And so he That's was there, yeah. he was he was Doctor No, and so we was like the Seven Hundred Club for a while. Just uh, uh, we needed to change it. He's like, we got to change it. And I saw some like crappy Martin Sheen horror movie called The Believers, and I just said that in a car ride with him, and he was like, yes. And I was like, oh. he said yes. All right, let's just <laughs> we found one. <laughs> we found one. We're good. Uh, yeah, that's that's Dane, and where the name came about. So it came from a movie. Yeah, yeah. It's a Martin Sheen movie about uh about uh like witchcraft in a in New York City. Vampire it's been a while. It's not, yeah. it's not good. <laughs> I don't think I ever saw that movie. Yeah, I don't think I ever yeah, saw yeah, yeah. I I've seen more Charlie Sheen movies than Martin Sheen movies, I think. Well, you'd be better off that way. <laughs> yeah. Who was who was responsible for drawing the logo of the band's name? might have done it although sometimes ray titus would do artwork um also there was a guy that was a friend of brett's early on that did um the moon pie drawing i think he did the believers he might have done some believers art as well it's hard to say there's a bunch of i don't even remember yeah in in, in my in my mind and again we're, we're going back a couple years here it was I, I remember tony doing i think the cover for the demo um and doing the logo but we all kind of like yeah we all did like whenever a fl- whenever a show would come up there'd be like three versions of a flyer for a show we'd all just kind of make one and photocopy it if we had a job that had photocopiers and mm-hmm. it was kind of like cut this and cut that and paste it the good the good old school hardcore punk flyers and in my mind it was always tony drew the original logo and i just cut it out and copied and pasted it everywhere <laughs> did any of you have any experience playing in other bands prior to starting the believers no, I did not. Um, but that's interesting because both Chad and Dane were in the band in high school. So they understood they understood how to tune instruments. They understood uh, notes and keys. And I think that gave us a big leg up. Um, it made a, a huge leg up early on. Yeah, t- Tony and mentioned we were kind of joking around, but just the fact that Dane and I kind of figured out we should tune the guitar to the bass <laughs> and, and just just be in tune with each other was uh, in hindsight <laughs> was a, it was a differentiator at the time. Yeah, in the, in the it punk seems scene, like not sure. a big. It seems like, like not a big sound deal. Great, it was like we're just the two of us are in tune and trying wow. to keep up with whoever was drumming at the time. We would play with other bands that. Um, it sounds ridiculous to even say this, and like I wouldn't have known any better. I was just someone with a microphone, but like. Chad and Dane would tune their guitars to each other. Duh, everyone does that. But back then, everyone did not do that. They Some bass player would tune themselves to one key and guitar, and then when they would play, it was like Sonic Youth on a bad day. It was interesting. <laughs> yeah, so we were lucky. We were very lucky that, that both Chad and Dane like knew notes. <laughs> knew how to play, play their instruments. Yeah. Who were, some of, who were some of the influences you all had at that time? Definitely Minor Threat, Seven Seconds, uh, The Faith, a bunch of DC hardcore. Uh, also back then, like we were happy to get almost any kind of music. You know, Florida had 
maybe three, four record stores back then. And even then there wasn't a lot of like punk or it was called uh, imports at the time. So um, like Chad worked at a Sam Goodies. They had a little import section. There was Peaches that had a import section and open books and records. I might be forgetting some things, but like there wasn't a lot. I would say the definitely kind of the the DC hardcore, uh, the whole Discord scene. I just remember all of us like whatever the next release was, it was like whoever had the seven dollars postage paid to to get it would get it, and we'd tape it off the the other guy. But uh, Dag Nasty for me for sure. Brian Baker was a huge influence. Verbal Assault, and then we got to yes. a lot of the the is the New York guys started coming down um, and crashing at our house. You know, like the whole Youth of Today, Grilled Biscuits, all those guys. Um, and then instead from California, we just had this weird kind of, I think it was part of our sound was we were drawn from things like, you know, West Coast hardcore, New York hardcore. And and then like Tony turned me on to like Public Enemy. And I was getting into like De La Soul and like old school, like rap and hip hop stuff. And to us, it was just whatever was interesting music uh, at the time was like, yeah, we'll use parts of that in our in our sound. And definitely at that time, there weren't really a lot of bands in South Florida who were playing hardcore music. Who else was around at that time that you can remember who was doing something similar or maybe was on the cusp of kind of following what you all were doing? Early on, uh, definitely the Roids. Uh, They were another band from West Palm Beach and like uh, their musicianship was was just astronomical especially for like kids for 17 year old kids back at the time, we would just kind of slack job watching them play, especially the guitar player. And they were such sweethearts really felt like they were an older brother band to us. And uh, a lot of things that we did kind of wouldn't have been possible without knowing them. Like, um, I don't know. They're the Roids were just, just a great West Palm beach band. Um, yeah. locally who else chad like there wasn't much yeah I, I think like when we and i would say even in the between 88 and 90 where we just were playing like we would play every show we could i it was kind of funny i was looking back on some notes stuff from the guy that was doing the book and uh he found a bunch of old like zines and articles and stuff and there were shows i was like i forgot about that oh my god i forgot about that we played with instead like four times and in my head it was like oh we played with them once or twice like no we did a ton of shows with them but at the time, it was like every probably six months, there was a new hardcore band, but they would make it six months and they would split into two or three other bands and mm-hmm. we'd be playing with, with them. And I think part of our our popularity was really just, it sounds funny to say longevity when we're only like a couple of years, but the fact that we kind of kept going for two or three years um, helped us rise above because we played so many shows with the bigger, like bigger bands, like Social Distortion come down, we played with Blast and um, we'd get in kind of on those shows. So the kids just, you know, they're like, oh, believers are playing in Miami again, or they're playing in Melbourne, or they're playing in West Palm, like we're playing in Tampa. We were just, you know, all working minimum wage jobs just to pay for gas to get to shows mm-hmm. and living on spaghetti. You know? Yeah. And, and uh, like little year too. spaghetti and little Debbie snack cakes. <laughs> What's your favorite little Debbie snack cake, Tony? <laughs> all right. So it's kind of a toss up. Uh, of course, oatmeal cream pie, but um, I like the Swiss rolls. They're kind of ho ho knockoffs. They're so Swiss, awful. Swiss rolls in the fridge still. Swiss rolls, good. It's not bad. You know, <laughs> where, 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 where do you stand, Jeff? 
<laughs> well, I don't normally eat them, but I know that in my house, zebra cakes reign supreme. Nice, nice. Oh. Well, it's the worst thing for your body. Yeah. <laughs> they are. They just happen I'm going to have to get cents. some for, to, <laughs> get some for memory's sake. It's been, there you go. I would say, I would say also, um, I mean, one of my favorite bands at the time that I loved seeing was Quit. Uh, oh uh, down, God, in, Quit. down in Miami, they were, that, that was like a, a unique thing where when we did our last show, they'd asked me to play guitar for them because we played so many shows and I got to play with them for like a couple months. They were way far away. So it ended up not working out for, uh, being in their band forever but it was like there there were a couple bands like that and like you know love playing shows like with powerhouse and some of the other guys they kind of started coming up a lot bigger on our i don't say our tail end but maybe in the middle to where we were we were kind of on the way out the the band the caliber of bands i think got better and better and better yeah for sure that's a band that I think of too. When I think of the believers was powerhouse, not because I think the sound was similar, but I think because of the straight edge thing, because uh, wasn't powerhouse, a straight edge band believers at one point were a straight edge band. So uh, how did you all get into straight edge? I know you mentioned the DC thing, which isn't a far stretch. So uh, how did you all get into the whole straight edge idea? It's definitely the DC thing. Absolutely. You know, and then when some of the New York hardcore started coming down and that was straight edge, like it was like, oh, cool. There's new straight edge. because the DC stuff we were listening to was broken up at the time. You know, like a lot of our favorite bands, they would put out an album like right as they were breaking up. And suddenly there were these New York bands that were like turned and putting out stuff and like kind of when we saw we saw this show that was amazing. It was seven seconds headlining dag nasty um and youth of today and youth of today came out and we were just like holy shit and yeah. suddenly like you know the bar had been had been raised it, it was neat to see yeah. so the thing the thing with with powerhouse too is about in the middle of of where we were we're towards the end of our run uh we met them and met tim and tim was great Tim was the one that got us into that studio that we did the demo in. So as soon as we're doing the demo, that's because we were talking with Tim Price, the guitar player, songwriter for Powerhouse. Um, so that was a big, big help. Remember what, remember what studio that was? I still have the reels. Um, magnetic air no yes no i know we did we did the original demo in natural sound but i think you're talking about the sound yeah natural sound natural sound yeah that's it and we're talking we did yeah. yeah and that was with brett and then we did four more songs there with ray uh that i don't think we ever did anything with yeah maybe one or two songs and the original demo was the halfway home that was the first ever cassette demo that the believers ever put out is that right yeah 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 uh, anything uh, the only other recording we have is really old songs from a vfw hall where we played with the disturbance like members of the chosen were in that band they were they were kind of amazing and then bad rep like yeah. we played we played that was an amazing show uh and that was like the beginning of us recording i think how was that show recorded with like a tape recorder uh, yeah boombox. so some of that there's a tape of that somewhere um, also what Chad was saying about the high school. So we all meet at Twin Lakes. We say we're in a band and like, I think we practiced and it was just like guitar, bass and vocals. Like, I have no idea what that practice would have been like. 
but we kind of cobbled together some songs and we had a friend named Jeremy that we just loved. He's the funniest guy, funniest guy that I've, I had met up to that point. And he kind of played drums or he said he played drums and we just he said he was drums. our drummer. He had, he had, he had drums. drums. Yeah. And like, I, so he's always our first drummer. There's a picture of us. He was just a great guy. And we had one practice. And I remember him telling us, maybe we need to change the title of the song Hell Slut to the song <laughs> to, uh, to Health Nut. Just while my mom's at home, can you please sing Health Nut? And we're like, yes, Jeremy. Yes, we can. And we only had one practice with him, but he was a, he's, Jeremy's a great guy. I think he's a DJ in New Orleans. He's he's still doing music stuff. So he was our first drummer. And then yeah, we meet oh. Brett Burns, who um, is the drummer on the demo and uh, was the sweetest kid. He was maybe two years younger than us. Uh, he was incredibly funny. Uh, and early on, like, he didn't know punk rock. It was, you know, like, you couldn't, it was hard to get punk rock or hardcore. So his influence was the drummer for U2, which turned out really well because one of Chad's earliest influence, influences was The Edge. So like, I think that was a good mesh in the beginning of just us figuring out how to be a band. Yeah, how to start writing songs. Yeah, I have pictures somewhere of us with, I think one of our first practices and we're outside and we're like in the grass somewhere and the drum sets are set up and then we got like the amps are out like in someone's backyard just, just you know, standing around it was sponsored by joke cola that's all i remember there was a lot of joke cola around at the time <laughs> nice were those some of the earliest shows though were at in backyards and people's like parties and that sort of thing yeah keg, keg parties um Keg parties, a lot of keg parties for a straight edge band. It's kind of hilarious. <laughs> how did that? <laughs> how does that work out? Yeah, we'll we're play just so by happy to pool. play. <laughs> yeah, true. which we have. Yeah, um, and, and uh, Brett also was incredibly talented. Like, I remember he was figuring out the hardcore beat, and Dane told him, "Like, hey, just listen to Seven Seconds. Just listen to this yeah. album by Seven Seconds." Just play like and this. then, yeah. and so instead of reverse engineering the beat like he had been. He picked that up and then he was off like a shot. Yeah. We we played a benefit at Echoes and we were last. And I thought the show was fine, but like the songs on it, like Brett is on fire on drums. Like I think there's a version of Child's Play on the original demo that we never recorded, but it, that's from the soundboard at um, at Echoes. And Brett's like, Brett, Brett's amazing on that. 100 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I will add too, Tony. I don't know if you remember this too, but um, Brett's dad was Huey Burns, which locally was like a a big deal. Yeah, he was like a bit in a he was a big deal locally in South Florida, almost like a Charlie Daniels band kind of yeah, thing, country kind of country, country singer kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, like literally, you could say he was a local legend. Like you yeah. know, it was neat. He did come from like a music family. His mom also, I think, had played. Uh, and sang at some point, but like Brett, you know, was kind of amazing. Uh, the demo, he had an injury. That whole, the whole demo, he's playing with his thumb <laughs> or finger in this, like this giant god, like he's playing like this. It's the fact that he was able to get through that demo at all is kind of amazing. 
um yeah i, I don't think brett gets enough um props as a as a drummer because when he was good he was very very good did he, did he play a lot of shows with you guys uh, all the early stuff yeah, yeah i was just well, gonna add in that, that that demo was all done in one day too so he was wrecked it by sounds that. like it <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like it <laughs> and, and, and I, I love it we did uh you know, like we did the backing vocals. There was a bunch of people there. Like, I think Tim Price was there. I'd like to think we thanked them all or listed them on the demo. You know, the demos are all hand cut, pasted things like. Hand taped. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we've ever done. made. Yeah. Do you still have a demo yourself? I might have I the real. I got one. Dane, Dane became more of the archivist. He seems to have like a lot of the flyers and the recordings and. He, he was I think, more thoughtful in that way. I, I wish I, I should, I just wish I held on all my freaking punk rock hardcore shirts so I could retire. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you can sell the shit out of those. Sell them all on right. eBay. And... Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I have not found, I haven't found a uh, Believers demo cassette yet, uh, but uh, maybe someday one's floating around out there. But I know a lot of people who had requested the Believers episode have the tapes <laughs> so uh they're def- amazing yeah so uh what was one of the craziest moments when you were making that that first demo for me it was the the first time i'd been in a recording studio um and I, i'll never forget like they put i had a little marshall half stack at the time like put it in the isolation room putting headphones on standing in another room and hitting like a low e power cord you know a big chunky cord on it and here to the headphones and just getting goosebumps like oh my god that sounds so good and then it's funny listening out to the demo i'm like it sounds so weak <laughs> like, <laughs> in, in, in hindsight now for you know i ended up doing more studio engineering myself and at the time it was just super cool to to like be able to hear ourselves because we were so used to practicing in spaces where we just got to put earplugs in or we can't even hear anything and we're all standing in one room with drums a huge bass amp half stack marshall stack whatever amp we could run tony into which was like usually some pv backstage something you know yeah. just run a microphone into it and all play loud so it was, it was super cool to to uh just the recording process a hey, real quick shout out to bill kirkpatrick it's funny that his name just pops into my head now like um it's it's hard for bands in florida south florida there's no basements there's no places to practice Amps are few and far between, and having a PA is just like, who has a PA? Well, Chad and I and Dane went to school with a guy named Bill Kirkpatrick. He was in a bunch of metal bands. Uh, 14K is the last name I remember. But like, I remember they played like hard rock. A bunch of bands did. It was the 80s. And um, he would loan us his PA head, and we would find a speaker and then just go. And thanks to him, like, you know, because a PA is fucking hard. Most of the time you find the shittiest amp that no one's playing guitar bass out of and you put a Radio Shack mic into it. And that would be your that would be your PA. And we got we got lucky early on. Thanks, Bill. (laughs) Class of 87. <laughs> That's funny, uh, but yes, yeah, so you need the the that uh, the gear right to to bring with you too to some of the places that you're playing. Uh, at what point did you feel like it was serious, where you kind of had to get your own stuff for those that may not have had it, uh, to where you were 
no, feeling like, okay, well, we're, we're getting a, a steady flow of shows now. So at what point did you all get serious about it? I think we we're always serious about it. We just didn't have the money to fulfill some of that seriousness. Because at some point, Chad and I went halves on getting a Marshall 412. Uh, we just got it. And it just it said Marshall and it was beautiful. I don't think those speakers were worth a damn. <laughs> I think it was it's just the box. But suddenly it felt like, we're a real live band now, Chad. Yeah. We got a Marshall. We got a Marshall. Yeah. It had Fender heads or just shitty Yorkville heads, like whatever we could put on it. But the fact that there was a Marshall cabinet made it feel like, oh, okay, now there's some real real gear. You're legit at that point. It felt weird. You know, I, we're 18. It's just like, holy shit, Marshall. You know, yeah. South it Florida. Like six, six months to save up to get the Marshall head. Like it was yeah. like half a year of playing shows and crappy jobs. And it was like, it was like, well, we need like $35 from the show to go toward the Marshall head. Like, I'm just not going to eat tonight, I guess. I don't know. We'll figure <laughs> it out. And we had yeah, that. So- and then Dane got his bigger bass amp. It was, then we were serious. It was like, when we rolled in, all the other kids would just be like, oh, those are like big boy amps. Mm-hmm. Can we sound ridiculous amp? now because <laughs> now everyone's got the best stuff all over the place. But at the, at the time, it was kind of like we earned our way kind of up the ladder in. It is funny thinking like something as simple as a Marshall guitar amp or whatever would mean something. But for us, that was a, it was a huge deal. Yeah. How supportive were your families at that time? So what you were doing? I remember uh, my mom lugging drum sets to shows at some point. <laughs> so Yeah. I think Dane and Chad's mom, uh, super, super supportive. Uh, my mom really was hoping it would just be a phase. Um, <laughs> God bless her. Uh, mousing that it's not a phase i guess uh but um she likes that i do it but back then it's just like well you need a real job you need a career she wasn't wrong at all but uh, but it was just um something i kind of had to do i'm glad we did it we were poor and broke we were so poor <laughs> so hungry. I, I will say now that now that we all have kids, we probably sympathize with our parents in that moment coming mm. out of high school. We should be jumping right into college, and we're like, we're going on tour. We're not going to college. <laughs> I just got a new guitar. That's right. Did any of your parents make it out to some of your shows back then? Yeah. What was their reaction when they saw you guys play? Yeah, it was kind of sweet. Uh, it was it was nice. I, I like when my mom would would come every once in a while. Yeah, I, I remember specific, in my mind. I remember specifically, kind of like one of those sweet moments was we played with Social Distortion, mm-hmm. and it was in this tiny, tiny club. And I, I remember my mom getting there and trying. I don't know if your mom might have been there too. I don't remember, but she was. But but we played and we. It was one of those shows like we tore it up. It was one of those like looking back, it was like we we every now and then we'd have that show where we just all clicked. And we would go to every show like we're going to basically crawl off the stage. We left every drop of sweat and energy on there. Mm-hmm. It was kind of that was definitely our thing. And I remember for whatever reason at that show, like everybody knew the songs like like Tony would start singing. and It would be that classic hardcore, like 20, 20 people grabbing the mic out of his hands and sing the song. And I remember afterwards, you know, my mom's kind of going, oh, wow, like you. You, you guys are doing something kind of big here. Like, they all know your songs. I didn't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was nice to, was cool to see our mom see us be like, I don't know, moderately successful in that, yeah. you know, and not just, that was, a, that was an insane show. There's somehow video of it somewhere. 
a video of us, the whole set, video of the Young Americans, which had Paul, who is in Stand Aside with Frank, who is our, our longtime friend and roadie, and with, with Will Hancock, who was uh, going to be our drummer after Ray. They, so there's a video of them as well. Uh, and they were, they were pretty good. They were really good. How are you guys getting booked with some of those those bands that were coming into town? Because I saw that flyer for the Social D, and that was the first time it said on the flyer that they were making their way down to South Florida, or that was like their only South Florida gig. How are you all getting on those shows? Who was helping to uh, promote the, some of those events and getting you at some of those gigs? That gig was promoted by someone named Jason. He went under the name Jason Mindbender. 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 Uh, a very, very uh, a sweet uh, guy. Um, we had done another, sh- we did a house party for him and we got paid with like lettuce sandwiches. Remember <laughs> eating a bunch of sandwiches and we were so happy. We were so happy to get those sandwiches. But um, that was somewhere in North Palm Beach. A bunch of the North Palm Beach um, people were there, which was nice. Um, and then I don't know how he got it. They were selling advanced tickets. There was a problem with the tickets and social distortion, not Mike Ness, he was a sweetheart, but the the drummer, the drummer for that lineup, the prison bound lineup and the, their roadie was gonna take our fucking amps because they thought we fucking, we ratted them out of money. I don't know what was up. So suddenly we played this good show. We just got this Marshall head and they were just like, we're going to take your Marshall. <laughs> and we were Thank like, God we had Frank, a huge skinhead is already. <laughs> yeah. So, so Frank sat on the amp. No. <laughs> um, a, a bunch of, a bunch of young women that we knew went up to Mike Ness and said, can you please let them go? Can you please let them go with their amp? And I think Mike Ness was just like, I don't know what even is going on. Yeah, what is that? I don't, I, he didn't care. It was mainly the drummer and this roadie guy. And so the police came and helped escort us out of this little club with our gear so we could load up and get out of there. It was bizarre. I have to say the social distortion roadies were fucking scary. They were biker looking <laughs> fucking dudes. There's a photo of, of Frank sitting on the amp and one of these guys staring at Frank and uh, it's thank you, Frank, for helping. Yeah, and the, the funny thing too was like a- after the show, so we played, then Social D played. I guess after that, Mike Mike Ness had kind of heard what was going on. He wasn't involved in it at all, and he came over and like talked to me about. It, and he goes, first off, like you guys are fucking awesome. Like Tony was hanging upside down from the rafters at some point singing, and he goes, "You're the best band that we've played with on our whole tour." And I just want to personally apologize roadies are being dicks i didn't know what was going on but i just wanted to say you guys slayed it and thanks for putting on such a great show and you're cool in my book and it was one of those like wow that's really cool because i was about to hate social d for the rest of my life <laughs> yeah and i was like all right good they it ended up being a, a, a kind of bittersweet kind of cool moment at the end but yeah but Weird also stuff like that was also <laughs> like but also like mm, you don't take stuff <laughs> yeah 
I can imagine that could be an awkward situation, especially uh, if you were fans of the band at one point and then after something like that may happen. And you guys play with a lot of bands, uh, a lot of bands that came through. I know you called out a whole bunch that may have stayed uh, at some of your places during that time. So uh, did you have any personal favorites? They have bands you got a chance to play with uh, who came down uh, that just really stand out for you? Yeah. Uh, You know, it was always fun playing with instead. They were, the funniest guys every member in that band was a fucking comedian and they were just great company and uh, got to learn a lot watching them play live just because they were they were kind of amazing they were an amazing they don't get a lot of props right now but they were just an amazing live band um i also had a great time we played twice with uh the day glow abortions and um they live up to their name it is they're an incredibly fun there's like three guitar players in that band it's kind of insane uh they don't tour with their singer the bass player sings i mean it sounds bizarre but like god they were fucking great and and a lot of fun to uh to be around they're they're a really great band yeah what about you what about you chad yeah i I would say i I have really fond memories of it feels like instead just kind of would come down and hang out with us for a week and we play. I remember they came down to like shows with uniform choice. And I remember at one point, like they all had bleached white hair, which like a thing for that summer. And by the time they left, like I had bleached yellow banana <laughs> hair. Or something. We just, we just like had fun hanging out. Um, and I would add to that too, just like when the New York guys started coming down, cause it would be like, like youth today would come down, we'd meet them. And then, like Civ would come down or Quicksand would come down. would be like, well, we know half of those guys. <laughs> they just kind of all switched bands. So once we kind of knew like five or six of them, mm-hmm. um, just kind of cool, cool hanging out with them. Remember like Tom Beyond coming down originally at Quicksand and and just kind of hanging out with these guys that, um, you know, it was, it was weird to kind of hang out with them at some point and them, them tell us that we sounded great. And we're thinking, you guys are on like record labels though. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like, you're all real bands. Yeah, you're real. Um, yeah. the the other thing I, I will add to um, so we had it, we kind of called it for a while the Believer Castle where the three of us lived. We kind of live in this hard part of town, we'll say. Um, and Ray's mom, Mary, who actually got us on a lot of the shows because she was she would book the bigger shows later yeah. and add us to them. And then Ray, her son ended up becoming our drummer. But I'll never forget. It's kind of funny now in hindsight, but just being at the house and a van pulls up with a bunch of stickers on it. And I was like, that wasn't uncommon for us. I was like, oh, someone's probably crashing for the weekend. And Mary pulled up in her big old whatever Oldsmobile car, whatever comes out. And she had this shit eating grin on her face. And she's looking at me smiling like, I got you. And I'm like, what is it? And the, the guy gets out of the van. And I'm like, that looks like the singer from Scream. And yeah, I yeah. loved Scream at the time. And I was like, and he's coming out and then right behind him, Dave Grohl comes out and I'm like, that's the drummer from Scream. Holy shit. So we got to like, you just like hung out at the house for a while. And in hindsight, it's, it's just kind of funny because the only time I think I've ever had anybody autograph anything in my life was that day. I was like, guys, I know this is going to sound kind of stupid, but I have a live in Amsterdam Scream album. Will you guys autograph it? And Dave Grohl was like, yeah, absolutely, man. We'll do it. And Peter was like, yeah, cool, man. Well, thanks for letting us hang out or whatever. And I still have it to this day. And it's it's funny now. And, you know, people are like, wait, you know, the guy from Nirvana and Foo Fighters? And I was like, 
he carved kiss on our tree. I, mean, I don't know if I know him, <laughs> but he come and, you know, get to hang out at our house. But it was just one of those, those kind of fun moments where we just never knew who would roll through town next. We just get yeah. put on a bill and be like, we're playing in Miami Saturday. And it'd be Tony be like, well, I'm working. Well, but it's, but it's blast. Uh, I guess I got to quit my job. Then. <laughs> Tony would quit his job and we'd go play a show. With Vlad. Crazy. Can I, can I add on to that uh, scream story? Yeah. Uh, just to give, just to give you some props, Chad. All right. <laughs> so it, it's true. Like woke up one morning, suddenly Mary's there and the van is there and scream like guys that we kind of worship. Yeah. Uh, and like, Dave Grohl was just a very fun guy. Like he was a new drummer and you could tell from the No More Censorship album that dude could play. Yeah. Like was was amazing drummer. And so we're like, holy shit, they got a they got this great drummer. And and I remember we talked to him about Void and we're like, yeah, and yeah. signed some of Chad's. It was just it was so great. But the reason why we're meeting them in front of Believer House, uh Believer Castle, is that the night before they're playing in Miami, Dane and I either don't have cars or don't have cars that'll make it to Miami. We're going to go down. Mary's promoting the show. We're getting in free. Chad's driving us. And as we're getting on to the, as we're getting onto the exit to take 95 down to Miami, I don't know why, but Dane and I were just fucking with you, Chad. We were just like teasing you, teasing you, and teasing you. And to your credit, you said, fuck this. I'll turn this car and around. And turn the car around. We did not see that show. And like, Dane and I were like, oh. Just kind of like, we really fucked up. And so we're all just like sitting around the house on a Saturday night, not seeing Scream like, like this. And so I love that you turn the car around. I love that you put your foot down. We weren't being mean, but we were being jackasses. And and uh, I'm sorry about that. But I, I I always loved that you were like, nope, and turn it around. <laughs> and the fact that we got to meet the next day is just like, well, it it's it was nice. It was real nice. Yeah, I, think, I think Mary 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 knew how much all of us wanted to see screen. <laughs> For sure. Were there any? Times when a band was coming to town that you were trying to get a gig with, and for whatever reason, it just didn't pan out. I don't know if we were that advanced. It was we were usually finding out, hey, there's a show with this. Do you want to get on it? You know, or, like or the flyer would be out and we'd be on it. <laughs> yes, like we're on we're on the Chromex flyer. That's yeah. that's awesome. We not play Nobody that show. Play. <laughs> <laughs> we so, would have played that show. The Chromex yeah. show that we were on the flyer for, but nobody asked us to go on stage and play. <laughs> yeah. Who was we're responsible? Like, we love we're there. <laughs> Who was responsible for putting the believers on that flyer? Do you I know? No, it wasn't Mary putting on that show. No. So I, I don't know who the promoter was. And again, I don't even think we are at a point where we could have done it. I think maybe we're in between drummers. Something was going on that I remember being like, I wish we could have played. But knowing that we probably wouldn't have been able to, even if they're like, go on, get up there. So, no, we that were definitely there. At the Cameo Theater, mm -hmm. which that's where we, we drive. We're in West Palm. So we drive down an hour or whatever to see you know, all the great punk bands that play there. So we kind of grew up watching all of our idols on that stage. So to be on the flyer, we're like, look, we're on a flyer with the Chrome Eggs. Mm -hmm. 
Cameo. We had never played the we had never played yeah. the cameo at that point. Playing the cameo alone would have been a giant deal for us. Yeah. Playing with the Cro-Mags would have just been like hitting the Powerball or something. Yeah, the Great Flyer though. <laughs> it's a Great Flyer. Also, Dame is on the front page of the Miami Courier Courier Journal. It's on. And on it's on the. Oh yeah. There was some big picture of him like with a big X on his hand being carried at the. Yeah. Stage diving. So. <laughs> He's probably got a copy. I know he's got a copy of that. <laughs> it was weird that the that after all those like what three years of playing and seeing, uh, we'd probably go down what two or three times a month to see shows at Cameo. Our last show, we finally end up playing the Cameo with Fugazi, which was like a huge for me. It was a huge deal. It was like, yeah, it was wow, a, it was like we finally deal. made it, but it's our last show. It was like, mm-hmm. bye everybody. <laughs> Why was that the last show? You know, uh, Dane had joined like a band called Milky Filth and they were, you know, the early 90s, there was this interesting swirl of influences where it was like new wave, alternative, metal, rock, like a bunch of things going on in that stew. And that was a band that did a bunch of that, you know, like they didn't sound like Jane's Addiction, but Jane's Addiction opened the door, I think, for a bunch of bands like that. And um, and Dane was just like, yo, this band is amazing. And we were like, yeah, that band's amazing. And he's like, I think I'm just going to play with them. And then I think Chad and I were just like, well. <laughs> well that sucks. Well, well the, it, it, it's funny. It's funny. I remember talking to someone about this, too. Like, maybe like six months after that or a year after that. And and I know Dane was taking bass lessons. So he was learning jazz and he was doing, yep. what, what was it? Uh, Phil McCarthy or McCart was from Phil, I, one of the one of the local so. jazz dudes. But Dane was getting really good on bass, and I think I think just part of it was like he was like, I don't want to play hard this simple hardcore stuff anymore. He wanted to challenge himself. But I remember like being like Dane's like I'm gonna I'm going off I'm I'm done or whatever, and just being me and times being like, oh well I guess that's the end of the believers. And someone mm-hmm. else later was like, you guys were about to be signed, like you had people record labels coming <laughs> free recording. Why don't we just get another bass player? And I remember going, well, but it was oh. Dane. Like, but yeah, yeah. Dane's the bass player. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. was we go through drummers, but it was always the the three of us just kind of kept the core going. And never looking for drummers. Um, you know, like I think all the drummers we had were good, but like Brett had to leave. I think Ray got fed up with it not going anywhere uh and just like (laughs) yeah and and like really like similar to dame but like wanted to play in bands that were more you know like the whole vegan thing was very new back then but like ray was was on it yeah early on like before became a joke and a fad like ray had already switched his diet up and was (laughs) looking for a band that that showed that and then also we were kind of languishing a little bit. And I think it was Ray leaving that was like, what? What? Oh yeah, we need to do something. Uh, and that kind of sparked the last bit of what we did while Dane was still with us. You guys remember what labels were interested in the believers? I remember hearing that the the gentleman that ran New Age Records, which put out a bunch of good stuff and put out the powerhouse seven inch, uh, was just like uh, maybe I put out the believers. They got to get a new drummer. And I was just like, fair. Uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, it was, it wasn't really pursued. I guess I felt like 
hey, let's record a really great album and then we will figure out what we'll do with it. And um, well, we recorded most of that album and um, Chad's got it. Yeah, and so uh, we're still, you know, you know, sounds great. <laughs> trust, just trust us. It's amazing. <laughs> so I do have uh, my copy here of the notes from the South. Remember this uh, yeah. right yeah. there. So tell us about that, uh, that picture there. Uh, what's your memory of that photo shoot there? That photo was taken by Joy E. Scheller. Uh, she took a bunch of pictures from, she was just, you know how there are people that will take pictures, but like she took pictures. Like she could probably show a bunch of South Florida yeah. alternative scene. Like she's got, I'm sure, portfolios of, of some great stuff. And luckily there's a couple shots of us in it. Um, and so she took that. It's with Will. Uh, and that's like kind of the bookend. It's like the end of the believers. Like we're on that comp with some great bands, but like they were just starting out and we were kind of parking the car as it were, you know. Did you know at that point that's what was happening or did that kind of happen suddenly? I think maybe we knew inside maybe it was happening. Like uh, there was very little planning. Like we were almost at the mercy of being a South Florida band where you're lucky to get what you can get. Uh, yeah. And I, I think powerhouse is smart that they were like, they were able to reach out to labels in California, get us, get a, a classic Florida seven inch pressed. And like, I think that was amazing for them to just kind of lock in their legacy Whereas we've got some recordings, we've got, you know, we've, we've never had merch. Like there was a bunch of things that we just didn't do that bands should do. You know, like uh, we had very little merch at all. The best merch we ever had was Chad worked at like a silk screening place. Yeah, screen printer. <laughs> screen printer. And so he took a Believer's design but it had them printed on like street sign material ambulance reflective stickers yes i mean like if you see like a railroad crossing or something like nice <laughs> chad was able to take a big thing so every once in a while like decades later you might see a believer sticker because they just wouldn't die yeah. they're like the, the most invincible stickers of all time and we just kind of lucked into a bunch uh, you know, and that's like some of the few merchandise things we ever had. What and what I, what cross streets could we possibly see one of those? <laughs> that's it's, uh, you know, I wish you go to the junkyards down in Florida. There's got to be some cars or someone. In, yeah, and we never sold them either. Like we, I don't know, we had very little merch, and we would just give it away. And they they mostly ended up on the bottoms of skateboards and the back of someone's car with the other four hundred stickers, where you'd go to a show and. It was always cool, like carrying your guitar and looking at me like, hey, believers and believers, there's two people with stickers here right on. And we're in Tampa. This is amazing. It's the other side of the state. Those stickers, yeah. too, like would shine headlights like they they like yeah. you could see them a mile away. It was the best sticker of all time. We we yeah. we fell into that. Yeah. And because Notes from the South, that compilation came out in the early 90s. Was that song that was on it come together? Was that recorded 
as like one of the last songs or did you already have that one that you just were kind of holding on to and then put it out on the on that on that compilation oh you know at the session that we did it um i didn't put vocals on it but we did that song and we were doing a minor threat cover think again and i think we laid the tracks for that but i never sang on it so there's a reel of those two songs uh somewhere but um it was one of the newest songs we had a couple new songs with will but didn't get recorded like better half and uh love is burning down i don't know what we called that one we only played some of these songs like right at the tail end, but yeah, it was neat. Like it was exciting for me. Like I was like, Oh, this is really different music for us. Yeah. I think we were kind of, we, we were deep into kind of recording the album, which was mostly the one we did at Morris sound over in Tampa, the, un, the unreleased one unbroken um, where a lot of that was like just really well, finally properly recorded versions of songs like that were on the demo or that we'd been playing for a while. And then Come Together was like one of the newer ones we were writing with Will. And I think for the seven inch, we were just excited about it. It was like, this feels new. It had a different feel, a different vibe to it. Um, I still love that one. It's got it. It's got, it definitely has some of the DC influence. Kind of naughty. It's got like a soul side kind of vibe, not even well hidden at all. It was probably like their seven inch came out. We listened to it. We're like, yeah, I like that. Let's let's do something (laughs) like that. You know, we would do that all the time. Just like, play around we'd get we'd get a riff and go speed it up slow it down speed it up slow it down try it half speed try it double speed try it like metal play it like leeway (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's a great song uh and i think also when you all did the reunion at churchill's you ended with that song right it's funny because there's so many lyrics and they're so like hard on sleeve a lot of a lot of the believers lyrics are like very like just want to be friends hey i love y'all and, um, you know, ex- except for a couple here or there and like maybe it's uh, a bit twee now to, to look back mm-hmm. on that. But like we were we were legitimately feeling hopeful and we tried to write a hopeful awesome. song. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because the rest of that comp is like, yeah, <laughs> that was a, it was an interesting shift because Hangman and uh, Ego Trip were on there. We got to play with Ego Trip a couple times and uh, like it was like again the new york influence and their version of it and it was like it was a lot harder but also like they were sweet they were fun guys so it wasn't like it wasn't hard to hang out with people you know just because they sounded scary uh it seemed like towards the end uh they were a lot of the bands that were picking up and then in orlando there's a band called blood clot that seemed to be starting right as we were kind of stopping. They got big really fast and they were like the, the next step in whatever hardcore or straight edge hardcore was for South Florida. Like, I think if people know South Florida for their hardcore, they'll know it for powerhouse and for bloodlet for where fear and weapons meet. Uh, I don't know if we got too much of a an imprint on it outside of west palm beach who knows when you guys went up to do some recording at morris sound were you already aware of the history of that studio and the bands that came through and did you wind up playing any gigs when you were up in tampa uh yes we were lucky to play a handful of gigs the tampa hardcore bands some of them were straight edge (laughs) 
or playing in that genre, they all had chops. Like everyone <laughs> in Tampa seemed like they were a great guitar player, bass player, or drummer. Maybe because Mortuary, Morbid Angel, Death, like Tampa had a bunch of death metal and high musicianship. So all the Tampa bands were just like, oh my God, they're amazing. And then there was a band called Slap Reality that had those chops. And everyone in Tampa was great singers, but Slap Reality, Frank especially, maybe one of the better singers in hardcore. Like they had harmonies, like it was, it was kind of mind blowing to see a lot of the Tampa bands. And there was a band called Awake, and they recorded their seven inch there in the B, in the cheap room. And I remember hearing like the rough mixes and I was like, oh my God, this sounds amazing. Uh, we need to get in there. They gave us the number. And uh, when we went to go record, we're in the little room, Studio B. And then Studio A is the their famous, uh, Moore Sound had a guy named Scott Burns, did Morbid Angel, did Death, um, did Obituary. And so he was recording Sepatura. Sepatura next door, you know, there. and... <laughs> And uh, they were also incredibly sweet. I didn't, not a lot of uh, English, but just super kind and just seemed real unassuming. And then we would see them track and they're just like ripping it the fuck up. <laughs> uh, that was inspiring to be around uh, players like that. Yeah. Yeah. More Sound was a great, it was a great studio. Yeah. One of the, the engineer that we had um, at first, we were like, uh oh, because we would go record only on Sundays because that was the cheapest day. We do a four hour block. So we would drive four hours to record four hours to turn around and drive back four hours. Uh, and we just basically would save our money. Okay, we can do another session. Let's book it. And at first we were, I think we were like, he's not going to take us seriously. <laughs> and then we started playing. And I remember him being like, yeah, he came to the table, like some cool ideas to, to help us out. And he was, they were very giving with like gear. Cause I remember one of the things that I, at the time I couldn't afford a Mesa boogie, uh guitar amp and i was like oh, i want one of those so bad and i remember laying the, the the basic tracks down with the marshall and then him going well let's just mic up the the mesa boogie and you'll double track on top of it and it was another one of those moments just like the first time in the studio where i played guitar with myself playing guitar with a different amp and it was so chunky and solid it was the guitar sound that i kept hearing in my head the whole time of the believers i was like that's how i want my guitar to sound i just didn't know how to freaking do it then that, that day i was like oh i need a rectifier amp and i need a marshall amp playing at the same time <laughs> and then i thought back oh all those dc bands all have two guitar players like no wonder it's in my head they're all playing you know they just had figured out i play the high-end stuff and you play the chunky stuff and we play together and in my head i was always like i just want to sound like that by myself how do i do it so it was so uh that's the sound that's on that's on that album we just gotta uh we gotta just finish the mix down <laughs> yeah right is that what you're working is that what you're working on back there chad <laughs> this is actually rehearsals from our uh which we've been talking about when we did the reunion show i had we had one rehearsal the night before because dane was in uh atlanta you know tony was in louisville we had a drummer jc from rape date that that used to see us at shows and it always kind of kept in touch with me and he always said if you guys ever do a reunion show I'm playing. I know all your songs. I'll, I'll come play. And I always thought, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. And like five years later, we got the opportunity, and I gave him a call, and he's like, I'm in. 
So I got with him. I was working in a recording studio at the time, fortunately. So I just basically said, let's just play eight songs. And I tracked the drums. and I played some guitar with it to send to Dane to practice his bass with. And then we sent that to Tony. And that's kind of how we were. We rehearsed from three different states before the show to try to get our chops back. But um, uh, we were talking about, we had a couple friends recently that were like, I want to put the album out. Like I'll, I'll put the demo out, I'll put whatever you can record. I'll put it out. And so we were being around the idea and I dug up my, the Pro Tools sessions. I still have JC playing drums in the, the rehearsals. So I'm like, I'll just track guitar again. We'll give it to Dane, play the bass. We'll just start a quick album from scratch here and uh, maybe put that out. And then I, I do still have the reels for more sound. We just need to get it trans. I would love to get it transferred. If anyone out there listening has some uh, <laughs> go to real machines and wants yeah. to handle that for us. I've got a Pro Tools rig here at the home studio so I can do all the mixing and stuff, but... We're, we're stuck in this in between where everything we did was analog and everything now is digital. So were you guys pretty happy though with the results from the more sound studio experience? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a reason why everyone went to that studio. It's kind yeah. of amazing. I don't believe they're a studio anymore or they've changed names. They, they got bought by uh last I heard they got bought by an individual, like some millionaire dude who said, I want to buy this to have it as my studio. And they, they sold it and they moved to a new facility because I actually called them up to say, uh, you guys have the machine that we recorded on. Can you dump it into Pro Tools? Like that was my best bet. Cause I couldn't track down anyone that had a machine to do it. And they were like, Oh man, we'd love to remember you guys, but the, the guy that bought it has it. Like it's, it's his, we left it. We started starting from scratch. So they, they're still running a studio the, the two main guys from what I understand, but in a, in a new space. Did you guys wind up playing any shows while you were in Tampa? And who do you remember playing with if you did play? I kind of only remember, I remember going to Tampa to see Quicksand. I wish we were on that yeah. bill. We were not. Yeah. Um, I think instead came back around and they were playing uh, maybe People's Court. There was a, uh, I think we did Slap a Reality in People's Court in Ybor City. That sounds like right. right there. Could be. That could be. Remember, what was the, what was the drummer? Again, all these guys were so funny. We just had so much fun hanging out. But I remember us being, I don't know if you remember this, Tony, in Ybor City, we're just hanging out, waiting for the show, standing on the corner, and a cop car comes driving down the street, and the drummer guy's like, be cool, be cool, it's cop, be cool, be cool. Like, really loud so the cop can hear it, and we're like, what are you doing? Like, it was just one of those silly moments, it was like, okay, this is, we're just hanging out with with buddies, they just, you know, are on the other side of the state. Uh, I, I remember... I remember being electrocuted by the mic so much I had to wrap a t-shirt around it. I also remember the headliner on the flyer uh, for some reason, and I love it, uh, was Anthrax. Anthrax was, was, was the headliner. And we were kind of doing that Joe Jackson cover they were doing. I wish we had it together and we could have opened with that. That would have been so great. Is it now's the time or on time? Or... What is that song? Oh, God. I can't remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> I do like early Joe Jackson, but that I can't think of uh, the only song that comes right to mind instantly is stepping out, but that's it. Which, which is the best song ever. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a classic. Uh, what about some other parts of Florida, Orlando, Tallahassee, Jacksonville, Fort Myers, Sarasota, uh, Pensacola. Were there any other parts of Florida that you guys also had a chance to play that are just memorable for you? I remember playing with Judge in Melbourne. I don't know if you remember that show, Tony. Melbourne. Yeah. Eagle Melbourne Troopers was on there too. We we did Melbourne with Dayglo Abortions one show. And then I remember went back and did it with with Judge. 
I remember the Dayglo abortion just because that was the one that they asked Ray to take the amps out of the back of their bus and they were all giggling and laughing. And it had oh, motor yeah. oil all over yeah. his shirt. And they, I, they were they handing were stuff out. <laughs> when Ray came up to like, oh, hand me an amp, they handed him like a greasy like axle or something. <laughs> <laughs> just coated him in motor oil. Is they, uh, they were funny. Yeah, I remember Judge. Ju that was kind of toward the end too. Was Judge when Judge came down um, to Melbourne? Mm -hmm. they, I remember they were like late, but it was one of those. Everyone was saying, "You guys are huge in Melbourne, huge in Melbourne," and we were like, "We are." <laughs> like, yeah. there's only like twelve guys in Melbourne. That we <laughs> there was another band out of Melbourne called Disorderly Conduct. Did you guys play oh, with them? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I wish. Uh, uh, I love all the old school florida bands like there was f and disorderly conduct oh, yeah. uh we had their stuff from either Flipside comps disorderly conduct had an album but like i think we would hear about the disorderly conduct or the f guys through uh jenny jenna tortures because she knew that and we got to play with the jenna tortures uh quite a bit and always fun to play with them um they would pierce people like they would crucify people and pierce them like mid set, pierce their nipples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also, it was just it was, you know, South Florida was wild, just all sorts of bills, and we were happy to play on any of them. And they were always they were always good. Hey, there's a shit ton of Florida bands that don't get any like No Fraud was a giant band for a while. Yeah, um, drums. We love dole doldrums. Were awesome. Dole drums out of Gainesville. Gainesville had a neat little scene. I don't think we ever played Gainesville. Psychic violence, Psychic violence was another big one. I, I know we went up to Gainesville to see Fugazi, but I don't think we ever played Gainesville. Why do you um, think you guys didn't get a chance to play up there? I don't know. It again, like it just not with it. I, you know, like it's, it was a big college. It's still a big college town. They have uh, the fest nowadays like lots of bands will play there i don't know why we never did it would I mean, we would have loved to any we would have done or played anywhere at any time if we could have um just sometimes the communication was weird back then no cell phones no internet mail you know letters zines that's kind of how you knew about stuff were there any zines around at that time in Florida that were really giving you guys a voice and pushing out some of the just awareness of, of what you were doing? Uh, I think we got to mention once or twice. Uh, there was a zine called Thinking Cat. And uh, it is important because there was a guy named Umbar who I believe came down from Boston. I could be getting this wrong. I think he came down from Boston, but Boston, New York. And I remember when he first came to South Florida, like most of the pits of hardcore was basically like a just slurry kind of football match, right? But then Umbar comes down and brought dancing. He would stand in front of a, a band and do dances. And I remember some of the skinheads were just like, fuck you, and <laughs> would fuck with him. But then six months later, they're all doing, they're doing the dance. They're, they're doing the dance. Pain. They picked up, yeah. Picking and up so the pain. <laughs> he he had some zines called Thinking Cap, and we might be mentioning one or two. They're great zines. He was a great guy. He became like an important roadie. Like he roadied for L7. There was some documentary where they're talking fondly about Umbar. He also roaded for helmet and unfortunately 
one of those tours, Helmet got in a very bad van accident. I believe their drummer was injured. Umbar was very injured, like head trauma. And um, it took him a while to get back a little bit after that. Uh, but I think due to that accident, it affected his health to the point, I could be wrong, that um, he did die. Um, he was a great guy. He brought a bunch of modern dancing and hardcore stuff to South Florida when we were still a little bit behind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, still behind both coasts. Like he was, I think he was very important for South Florida. Him and Tom, Tom Sheridan, also from New York, yeah. um, straight edge. And Tom was another one who taught South Florida how to dance. So they're both big guys in the scene. I don't know if they get credit for it. Were there any other people who had an impact in the believers period that may not be here with us that you wanted to also call out as someone that was important as just being a part of that journey? I hope Ray, Ray and Mary Titus are still with us. They're Mary, especially very influential, influential, got us great shows was our manager, Chad. I, I even forgot that. Yeah. Mary yeah, I think was our you manager like crashed it there at the house and we used the dub decks and stuff. Or... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we 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 made the made the tapes at her place. It was like our second I, mom. <laughs> yeah. I even believe she might have paid for it. I don't know how we would have paid for studio time for the demo back then. Like we're very, living hand to mouth. How in the hell? I believe Mary Titus paid for that demo. You know, and this is before her son even started drumming for us. Yeah, I would just add in. I think we were talking a while ago about Rabbi too. Just some of the Larry, other yeah. influential people in the Miami scene because we did have like a, a interesting transition where you know we played in West Palm a lot, and then but we'd go see shows in Miami and then Lauder in Fort Lauderdale, and then you know and hanging out with the guys. Then they'd be they'd come see us, and soon it was like, why don't you guys come play? Like, you know, it'd be like, oh, Jawbox is playing. Great, we'll see you the show who where, who's next week great we'll be on that bill um mm -hmm. so we would just kind of jump on basically i think i don't know if we ever turned a show down that anybody said you guys want to come play unless the only time would be like if two of us worked that day i think that was like the word was almost like well if i work and dane works but tony's off can't do it but if one of us can get off then i know there were several occasions where more than one of us had just left our job to make sure a show happened this answer may be different for each of you, but if you had to play a show at any of the clubs or venues that you did play back in the day, even though it may, it may be gone, what would have been that place that you would have liked to have played one more time? Definitely the Cameo, definitely Washington Squares. I, I like both of those venues uh, a lot. It just I've seen so many, I've seen so many shows that meant a lot to me in those places. And I, I still think about those places, you know, I, Whenever I tell people about all the shows I've seen growing up, I have to say, okay, okay, okay. You've seen the first Ace Ventura Pet Detective, right? So when he's on stage singing with Cannibal Corpse, that's the cameo, the cameo. theater. <laughs> yeah. You know, we got to see uh, GBH there. Got to see um, everybody. Everybody. Everybody played everybody. That. that. was the spot. That was the turnaround spot if you were on tour. Yeah, Florida's so damn long. A lot of the great bands we wanted to see would never make it, and the ones that did would hit cameo, turn around, and get the hell out, or like scream. They would hit Miami, then go. Now we're going to Europe, and that was their 
launch mm-hmm. pad to the European tour. I remember one time Youth of Today came down and played Miami and they stayed with us, or at least uh, yeah. Ray was was into Hare Krishna, so he stayed at the Temple of Miami. But John and Walter and Sammy stayed with us, and then we drove them up to Orlando, and then they did a uh, they did their European tour from there. So like they had one show in Miami, and then hit hit Europe. It's not bad. It's not yeah. bad. Chad, what about you? Yeah, I think I, I hinted at it before. Cameo, just from gr- growing up and seeing all my my favorite bands and influences playing there, and then that that last show that we played um, with Fugazi. Growing up, listening to Minor Threat, it was like in our blood. Like it literally, like it was like every week, you know, we'd play that. It was it was being played. So when Fugazi came down, kind of to meet Ian, and they were so cool and sweet, and and then also like it was a sold out show. Yeah, I'm sure more Fugazi, Fugazi than yeah. us. <laughs> but but we did. But going down the line, like before, it was like it was like a reunion show of uh, who's who in punk rock bands. Word got out that it was going to be our last show and Fugazi was playing. So it was like, everybody was like, all right, well, I'll come out for this show then. And then I think a lot of our friends too, that maybe hadn't seen us and just kind of followed us, you know, through high school or whatever. It was like, I'll come to, I need to come down and see you as it was the, the kind of last hurrah uh, show. The only other place I would have loved to have played, I would love to have hopped up to CBGB's just for the historical aspect oh, yeah. of it um, yeah. to, to do that. But, yeah, Damn or the 9.30 or the Black Hat. Yeah, 9.30. Any of the classic clubs. That show with Fugazi was interesting because I remember we're going out. It's pro- it, We're knowing it's our last show. And then right before us, so this is in the 90s, and like suddenly everyone wanted to be the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like there was a lot of <laughs> yeah. funk. You know, everyone funk. wanted to be funk at the time. And there was a, <laughs> well, there was a band before us named Funkhauser, and they're playing, and we have to go on after them, and they are ripping up the stage. <laughs> Funkhauser was just, they were so tight, and they were so, they were just amazing, and I remember just watching them like, oh, I'm going to fucking follow this, you know, Um I barely remember the show that we played, but like, because the stage seems so tiny when you're up there and so gigantic when you're on the floor. Like, it was an odd experience, but um, we we kind of stopped. Like, Dane was already playing with uh, Milky Filth, and mm-hmm. it seemed like it was kind of the end. So, and we had just gotten Will, and real quick about Will, uh, when Ray leaves, we had known Will, and Will uh, had this tiny drum set, a t- like it looked like a toy, and it was nailed. This drum set was nailed to a big plank of wood, so like he had this toy kit, this ridiculous kit. But Will was amazing. Will yeah. like worn out. <laughs> he was very far thinking, so he loved. He came up through punk rock and hardcore. When we were at uh, Twin Lakes, he was two years behind us, but over at Forest Hills. And um, we always knew him as the guy that could skate better than anyone else. He's this little guy that could just, he was just an amazing skater. And uh, Dane and I went to go visit him to see if maybe he'd want to try out for the Believers. And we saw his dinky joke. It was a joke, drum set. And he was like killing it. 
he was already listening to like Pantera had their first record out. Uh, Primus had their first record out. So like the 90s music was already coming in strong and he could kind of do some of that. And so like he brought a very neat and sophisticated sound. We had to get him a drum set. Uh, we got him the biggest Ludwig we could find. And um, but like Will was an amazing drummer. I just want to say like I've known him for a while. Here's Will Hancock. Uh, it's his birthday today, no less. Happy birthday, Will! Happy birthday! Um, he's just uh, he's just an amazing creative uh, drummer. He went on to do a band, Four Fifty Six, and did guitar and drums on. Like went into recording. Like he's he kind of could do it all by himself and didn't need other people. So. He's a, he was a, an amazing musician. Yeah, in the, in that time period, we we were like there was hardcore was kind of doing its thing. Then there was like this straight edge hardcore, and at the same time, metal was emerging out. First, it was like the the nineties, like you know, kind of saying that like nineties hair metal, but then it was like Metallica hit, and all of a sudden the whole landscape started changing inside mm-hmm. the the hardcore scene, where now you had to be really freaking good to play guitar that way you know i had to know scales you had to play mm-hmm. solos you had to and we were just like, dig, 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 you know so there was definitely a, a weird crossover period where we kind of adopted i think some of those tones and styles and little licks and tricks and things but still kept our own thing while this metal new metal things happening kind of behind the scenes growing behind us so i think will was like a drummer was like, oh, he could have, he had a foot in both sides. So he could have done yeah. one where, you know, like I didn't have the guitar. That was, you know, I didn't have the guitar chops. I remember leaving Believers and playing with Quit for a couple months and going down there. And they were, I remember having a talk and I was like, I wanted to play like how they played on the record because I loved it, which was very Descendants, all power pop kind of feel. And they were like, no, we want that chunky Believers sound added to us. But their, their guitar player had, had left and gone to college, but he was freaking awesome yeah so was, i was like yeah. i was like i my chops just weren't there i think at that time you know i just hadn't done the studies and play guitar I, I i my guitar playing was really just learning how to write believer songs and everything was writing a song i wasn't interested in oh i need to learn scale so i can play a proper solo for this my solos were always like oh god here comes chad solo what's he gonna do now <laughs> and my mentality was I'm just going to doctor no from bad brains this thing and just play as many notes as fast as I can up and down the thing till it gets back to the bridge. Like <laughs> sometimes it was awesome. Sometimes it was like, Oh my God, what did I just do? <laughs> but I didn't have, you know, and on the outside, they're like, it's awesome. You're energetic and you're diving into the crowd with your guitar and rolling around on stage. And I think we, we kind of, uh, you know, got a, got a pass for not being super talented musicians at the time because of the energy that we put out that was that was more about the the feel and the vibe and uh than maybe the musicianship we got definitely got better over the couple of years and yeah well like, i come together like that's where we were kind of like hey we can play like we're, <laughs> I, I will say too uh something to add we kind of talked about tony joked about us being able to tune our instruments together but one of the other things that we did early on that the other bands didn't do is i remember um reading an article, I think in Maximum Rock and Roll of Henry Rollins from Black Flag. And he was talking about how they practice. And he was like, we get up and we work out and then we play for four hours straight. And we did, and, and at some point I remember t- telling Tony and Dan, I was like, 
we need to practice for four hour blocks. Like we would book studio, we'd book a studio for like, you know, some God awful off hours thing. And we would just, that became our thing. Like, you know, we'd at least be in the room for four hours. I don't know if we hardcore practice, we play the yeah, same yeah. song 20 times. We play it for two or three hours. Cause we just thought, Oh, that's how you do it to get good. So fast forward after six months of that, we were known as being a really, really tight band. And it was just because we kept playing the same damn 10 songs 4,000 times. And it was like, and the other thing was we had to get to the point where we can play those songs where I pretty much broke a string, not just every show. I probably broke two or three strings every set. So I had to get to where I could play guitar and keep playing when I break a string and like not lose my place. And like, oh, I just got to go down here now. So we'd have to like know the songs that well just because I was buying the wrong strings for my guitar because I didn't know any better. I was like, I have a Gibson SG and I want the thickest strings for the biggest sound. My neck's like, <laughs> in hindsight, I learned my guitars. I was like, that was dumb. No wonder I had to tune after every song. <laughs> what went into the practice as you were getting ready to do the reunion at Churchill's? What was that like? If you can kind of paint the picture of kind of getting back into this and then uh, practicing these songs again and then playing them for a, a live crowd. Uh, we had one practice. I think maybe yeah. they had gotten together uh, a couple times and it sounded good. Uh, and JC is just an amazing fucking drummer. Yeah. Uh, Will and I drove down and I need to apologize to Will for this, like, and to Chad and Dane. Uh, like, we were going to have another drummer and like Will and I lived in the same city. He was still playing guitar, but not much drums. And I was like, hey, why don't you just play second guitar? I didn't really talk to Dane or Chad about any of this. I'm just like, it'll be great. And so we come down there. And when we try to do it, uh, nobody was really feeling it. I didn't know. I didn't do any legwork to really set it up. And I feel like I just drug Will down to this reunion. And like he could have played one song. He chose not to. But like, I just feel shitty that i don't know i kind of like hey come play guitar oh, i'm sorry we're not going to do uh, we're not going to do two guitars is basically what happened and that's uh, i feel really awful about the reunion that that will got strung along by me thinking that he could be in it and i was wrong chad i'm sorry we yeah, really I think talk about those this. things where um it, it was so like, like we literally had one night to practice and the show was the next day so I think we were all, I know I was already like, oh my God, this is going to be, if we can pull this off, this is going to be amazing. It's like, oh, like 20 years of not playing these songs, go, <laughs> like jump on stage. And then it was like, oh, let's throw Will in this, movie, which we've never done. You know, if we had played with the guitar or something before. We never yeah, had I thought the same thing player. in hindsight. I, I felt bad too. Um, I, I think I also owe Will apology because I think at the rehearsal was like, Will's going to jump on guitar and play this one. I was like, no, mm, I I don't know about that. We don't really have time to throw that yeah. that wrench into the into the mix at that late of a stage. Yeah, I got to take all responsibility for that because I was just like, "Hey, I want you to be part of this, and um, it'll be fine." You know, like why am I why am I making major decisions <laughs> with people that I cannot bring to fruition? I don't know. He he's a, a fucking amazing guitar player and drummer and artist. And like the whole drive back, like he and I didn't even say a word and it was just not fun, not fun. He's in Bowling Green right now. 
we haven't touched base too much since then. He's doing good, but um, I just haven't seen him forever. And um, we used to be really close and I miss him. And uh, Will, I'm sorry. You deserve better. <laughs> yeah, he, he's very... All our drummers, even like... Uh, I think Brett is an amazing drummer. And like uh, that whole... I wish we could find the whole soundboard tape of us at Echoes because he is... That's some of the best hardcore drumming I've heard in general. And he's killing it. Ray, also very strong drummer. Really neat ideas. Um... And Will was just kind of like, he was almost too good for us. He was, he, he allowed us to kind of like, oh, we can do other forms of music with this kind of drumming. So, and we kind of did. It didn't get recorded, but we kind of did. Were you guys Other happy though with the end result of that reunion when it was all said and done? I'm glad I didn't throw up. <laughs> and um i felt i felt i felt good about it it was nice to see dennis in the crowd it was nice to see a bunch of people in the crowd we did a minor threat song so that people would know a song that we played um, what, what song do you remember doing from minor uh, threat uh think again think again yeah we did yeah. uh was a government issue strange wine yeah that yeah, was yeah. one we always used to throw into the set that i can never come in on the right time <laughs> in the middle <laughs> fun one and i think this was this was like a uh a show where there were other florida bands that were on the bill right i think most of them were florida bands that played that show any any standout that you remember from uh, also playing with you powerhouse had a really great fucking set they're they're really good um again like powerhouse is tim and ivan and whatever the whatever rhythm section they can get together uh for the date and like every time it's been pretty good like there's been a, a bunch of members of powerhouse but uh i'm proud to have known them and they like really knocked it out of the park we played a show with them that was super important we played it with the og quit uh it was like at some vfw hall the, the stage was all milk crates and so a lot of the photos in the powerhouse booklet is from that show. And um, there's a video of that show also somewhere that there's some really great videos of powerhouse and quit and us that I would love to see the light of day. It'd be nice. Is there anyone in particular that just, you feel like never really got their due. I know there's probably a, probably could be a long list, but is there anyone that stands out to you who you just wish more people knew about that were from Florida, South Florida at that time? Yeah, uh, definitely the Roids. I loved a band called Freaks with Beaks. Uh, Postface was really, really good. Um, Pontius Pilot was amazing. Um, uh, Chad, any... Uh, all the Florida bands, uh, uh, all the Tampa bands, like uh, definitely Slap of Reality, People's Court, Awake, definitely Awake. Tampa had a bunch of bands. Um, I should have. I, I think, it. like, like in hindsight, like I said, I, I was a huge, I was a huge Quit fan, but when like Blink One Eighty Two and Green Day and and that whole kind of uh, wave of power pop or whatever you want to call it kind of hit probably was it maybe five years later i just remember hearing that stuff on the radio just going oh my god they were just too early like they, they were doing yeah. that stuff 
They were literally doing that style, that vibe five years before. Um, yeah. Before it became oh, cool <laughs> or cooler. Just to, to add on to the quick thing, uh, there were early uh, Miami bands, a band called Chocolate Grasshopper. Oh, yeah. And um, they had an amazing tape, great, two great guitar players and singers in that band. And Andre, the drummer for Chocolate Grasshopper, is a drummer for Quit. Um, uh, Tony also in Quit. Just everyone in Quit were just really great musicians. And it was fun to watch them uh, just tear through their material. Kind of just knocked out by that band a whole lot. Well, that's some good ones, though, for sure. And uh, Russell Mofsky from Quit, who went to college, right? And that's who you may have filled in for, Chad. Uh, he was one of the earliest guests on the podcast, oh, I think in, I think in the first year. Yeah, he's been a, a good friend to the podcast. And he has his uh, Gold Dust Lounge, which I'll plug for that. So if you get a chance to see uh, his uh, instrumental surf lounge. Dude, I would love good. that to see that. Yeah. yeah. Holy good stuff. shit. Their guitar, uh, that person's guitar playing is was kind of off the charts, and everyone in that band was good. Um, what's great is the powerhouse quit believers show with the milk crate stage in the video. Like he's playing and like he's laughing to have a good time, and then like just casually just kind of spitting at the video camera. It's the funniest fucking thing. <laughs> um, well played, well played. Um, Hey, real quick, can I just thank all the moms of the band uh, yeah. uh, for the Believers? Because uh, when I turned 18, I left home. It wasn't really running away. I was legal age. But uh, I didn't know where I was going to go. And I remember Gail, Chad's mom, made Chad, like, go get him. And, like, <laughs> made Chad go drive and pick me up. And I so I slept on I slept on Chad's uh, uh, Chad's mom's house with them um drew and peg dane's dad and stepmom stayed at their house i stayed at brett's mom's house i stepped at ray and mary's house whose mom am i forgetting i stayed at everyone like they all <laughs> kind of pitched in and didn't let me hit skid row that was Did very nice. die? that was the theme <laughs> yeah no I remember walking around like you can leave home and run away all you want. But when the sun starts going down and you're like, where am I going to sleep? Yeah. It, you know, it, it gets really scary. And like everyone's mom was really fucking was really kind to me. So I can't believe I live like that. I'd be terrified if my son did that. I don't I would not be able to survive a night. I don't know how my mom did it. So sorry, mom. I love you. <laughs> What is the unwritten chapter in the believer story that might be coming soon? The recording? The recording yeah. would be some of it. Yeah. I, I would love to get together with Chad and Dane and, and reminisce more. And because like it was staggering how much my life had changed. You know, it was the, I think 86, I was still in high school and I graduate in 87. I think Dane and Chad, you all graduate in 88. Yep. So I think I'm, I think we're in a band by 86, but we're not playing until 87. Yeah. And um, so like a giant chunk of like to the, to the early nineties, like so much of our lives changed 
uh, during that. And um, when I was thinking back on it, it was kind of scary that that much happened to me and you and Dane, like at that age, like we got really lucky in a lot of ways. So yeah, it, it is funny now. Like I have a, I have a 14 year old daughter and I remember my mom at one point, like saying, you know, you're going to pay rent if you live here, if you just keep disappearing, going down to Miami, like <laughs> coming back at two in the morning. And I was like, but bad brains are playing. Like I can't miss that. <laughs> like, I'm I'm 17. I should be able to do whatever I want. <laughs> now I'm like going, oh my God, if she knew. <laughs> and now that everyone has kids and some of them are are have grown up and what have you, have they heard any of your old music and do they have any opinions of it? Daughter so, says we played fast. <laughs> uh, thankfully, Chad and Dane got some merch together for the reunion. So my son still wears his believer hoodie. Uh, and he has a believer shirt. He cut off the sleeves and stuff. Um, and for a while, he was playing in some bands here. Uh, so he knew how to play, like said before, he knew how to play a couple of the believer songs uh, on bass. So it was kind of funny. Yeah. I'm sure that's a proud moment, too, having a chance to have one of your kids play some of the music that you played when you were a kid. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, it's it's really sweet. It's really sweet. Yeah, he's he's a great kid. I got lucky with him. Yeah, lucky. Uh, <laughs> it would have been interesting to have Dane on here as well because he's got uh, he's got two kids, and I think one of them has a drum set. So I'm curious to see what what they're doing. And do all of you kind of share the same nostalgia for the legacy of the band? Are you all so pretty happy with the the outcome and the story? I would have liked to have had merch. I would have liked to have released a record. Understand? Uh, yeah, all that stuff. But um, I felt lucky playing music with them just because it shaped me musically going forward. I still listen to hardcore. I still listen to some of the stuff that we did. But um, Dane and Chad knew how to play their instruments. And that was very, that was incredibly um inspiring to me um also chad you don't i've maybe mentioned it once or twice but like we were a hardcore band but everything that chad did was kind of like um was different for hardcore like he used different chords yeah like you know like we listen to a lot of stuff but you also listen to like uh husker du and the cure and stuff that wasn't really was part of of the upbringing but like hardcore got more and more regimental <laughs> yeah and the, the fact that you had a bunch of different colors like you wouldn't if, there would be times where you would almost refuse to play power chords or bar yeah. chords and despite having a shit ton of distortion on there yeah. and like you know like which sounds amazing and when i listen back to it it's it's like the music sounds better than average to me because of say drumming of will and the the guitar layering and stuff that you did makes me feel like oh cool this isn't just it wasn't run of the mill hardcore so nice job chad nice job <laughs> yeah. yeah no that was something like like early on i think part of it um came out of just We'd, we'd be playing things so fast that my fingers couldn't do what I needed them to do. 
And sometimes I just stumble on some weird chord. And I'd be like, Ooh, that sounds dark and evil. I, I got to remember that one. And then like the next day, I'm like, I want to write a song based on that one chord and, and build from there. So some of it was, was happy accidents, but the more I, the more I, and, and Dane was getting into jazz stuff too. And I'd started doing some jazz chords. I could not do them fast enough to play all of it. But what I would do is I would be like the first chord or the last chord should have some really different color. Mm -hmm. And that became, a, that definitely was the differentiator for us where we had a different, a different vibe. Or, or it, it shows up, it shows up as early as the demo too, because the very first song, the real me, you like, instead of just hitting a dan, you play, you like, like strum this ninth chord. Ninth, and it yeah. like, it sounded really, really cool. That and uh, all I'll be, you and Brett channeling, yeah, channeling uh, U2 is amazing. Like that song, we only kept that song in the set, I think just because the intro was so powerful and the yeah. rest of the song is just like, hey, let's all be friends. Hey, let's be friends. <laughs> Are you my friend? I'm your friend. But uh, the guitar intro I always loved on that. Yeah, I used I use the ninth, it's probably my, my favorite chord in... And hardcore, the stuff that we did, because distorted is basically like two stacked power chords at once. And it just feels nice and beefy to play through an amp. Nice, chunky, just has a huge sound to it. If the Believers were, were to record a new song, what would it sound like, you think? Metal. <laughs> I have Fish no bone. idea. No. <laughs> uh, I would, horns. Love, <laughs> I would love to do another song with uh, Dane and Chad and uh, any of the drummers that will speak to us. Uh, <laughs> I would I would love to do it just because it, it was fun. God, it was it was just fun to go into studios and put the songs together. Like it, being in that band made me just love being in the studio. It, it's it's always been a, a good a good time. Yeah. And so I would anytime, Chad, I would love to do a song. I'm down. All right. Well, hopefully something can come uh, down the road and to get to hear what that would even sound like. Uh, even if you can't all come together in the studio, that's the the power of uh, being right. able to do, yeah. <laughs> record yeah. in different places and then put it all. Mm -hmm. Someone can put it all together, of course. Chad. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Thanks, it. Chad. I just need all the parts. I'm good. At the, well, yeah, I will mention that, too. It's kind of funny how the. Tony said, like, you know, being in the Believers kind of changed the trajectory of his life looking back. Um, like going to the studio for the first time, he'd be fascinated by it. And then we recorded again. And by the third, the third time we recorded, like doing the seven inch, I remember distinctly being like, I want to be on the other side of the board. I want to know what all those knobs do. I want to. And I became a studio engineer, started like buying my own stuff, doing it at home, then worked at a studio. I still now I teach pro tools at college so i kind of if, to this day like kept kept the foot in it and that all stems from the believers 100 yeah i'll do yeah. like i do electronic music now so i'm not even doing punk hardcore stuff <laughs> do a band called ultra star but like did an album this year so still recording and nice having fun with it yeah yeah. Do do fans of what you're doing now chat even students that you've had do they know the believers so for the first two years I taught, I said nothing. Year three, <laughs> year three somebody found the the clip of us, uh, the Churchill show, and brought it into class. They're like, is that you? 
I was like, damn it, secret's out. All right. And so since then, I think they've they've passed it along to each other where the the, the secret is out. And I just kind of say, yeah, you know, I'm 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 older than your moms or dads. I wasn't a punk band back in the 80s before you were born, before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye. It's basically that <laughs> SNL skit. <laughs> playing, I'm gonna play my daughter's wedding in my exactly. hardcore band. <laughs> also, uh Will got into uh recording. Uh, I don't know if because of the believers, but like um, he was interested in it. And he went to full sale up in Orlando. So like, you know, he definitely stayed with it as well. Once you start recording, it just becomes like, oh, I just want to do that again. I just want to do it all the time. Sure. So as we kind of close things out, any final last words you want to share to supporters, fans, whomever is out there that uh, have been fans and believers of the believers? Something real quick to Frank. Uh, I graduated with Frank in 87, and he was always a, a roadie uh, for us and just was just great. Just a great person to be around. Giant, scary looking person but with the heart of uh, Teddy Bear, he's just such a sweetheart. And um, speaking of trajectories, I feel like it was Chad showed me a bar chord and then Ray, then Frank showed me an agnostic front song and like an 11 rocket song. And so suddenly I knew how to play two songs and I was off at the races. So like both Chad and and Frank and Dane started me playing an instrument. So very grateful for that. Um, and thanks, Frank. If you ever see this, we miss you. I hope you're doing good. <laughs> yeah, I, he came by to see me on the reunion. I was like, hey, we're playing. He's like, I can't do that. I'm like, okay, <laughs> not a problem. Not a problem. And he's like, yeah, and we just kind of hung out. And and then I haven't seen him since. Frank, we miss you. Frank the road. Is, is there anyone you can think of, Chad? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd just like to take a moment to to thank Tony Dane and all, all the drummers for, for that kind of period of, of my life of, like I said, the trajectory is kind of still going, still making music, still doing stuff. But um, it was like that that early friendship where, as Tony said, you know, we kind of would butt heads and bang around and, and just be typical snotty teenagers. And I just wanted to skateboard and play guitar was all I cared about in life. And uh, it just kind of was was really cool in, in hindsight to experience that with uh, with my buddies. It's awesome. Same. 